Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. I wish that Todd were here. He's a Blair Witch hater. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a defender. Yeah, I'm a defender of it too. I think it's called I think it outweighs any shortcomings of the movie. I'll even go so far as to defend. I'll defend the second one. I like that. Wow. And we're rolling. <laughs> Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a bi weekly, we try podcast where we talk about movies and other shit that we find entertaining and interesting. And we are very excited today because we've got a guest returning to the show who hasn't been here for quite some time. Lee, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And I'm joined also by my regular guest, Joy Pool. Hello, hello. This is cool. There's a uh, this is the popping the cherry on this particular trinity here. Yeah, yeah. This is, is uh, always fun when we have people come in who uh, have not worked together before. But <clears throat> I Life think this is a pop of the cherry. <laughs> but as <laughs> film, the podcast as film buffs, I think that uh, we all will get along just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we are talking about one and done films. These are films that are good to decent to great, I guess. That for one reason or another, you only need to see them once. You don't have a desire to go back and rewatch them. And uh, so we've kind of compiled a list of some of our favorites. And Joey, I think you had talked to me earlier uh, before the show about reasons that uh, things become one and dones for us. Well, before we get into that, I want to say that for me, most films are de facto one and done. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's not very many films that I rewatch over and over and over again. There are exceptions. Holiday movies. There's certain things I tried out every Christmas. Right. National Lampoons. It's a Wonderful Life. Yada yada. As you do. Halloween movies. Things that have some nostalgia attached to them, and or I'm introducing my son to them for the first time. But most movies for me are one and done. What I wanted to focus in on this particular episode was the reasons why you might really like a movie or even love a movie or respect a movie, but you just don't want to watch it again. And so I've identified a couple of reasons why that might be. And the first one is that it relies too heavily on a twist or some sort of reveal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The classic example of that one for me, I guess would be the sixth sense, Yep. uh, which is actually a none and done for me because by the time that I got around to seeing the film, I already knew, knew, and so I've I've never actually seen it, and I don't think that I need to at this point. I have a friend who has the same thing. He has never watched that movie because it got spoiled, and it just Mm -hmm. he resents it in a way, and it's kind of like, nope, but whatever. (laughs) But nonetheless, that's that's a good reason. Yeah, so it relies too heavily on a twist or some sort of reveal. Um, If it's just too emotionally fraught, dark, or depressing... Um, I'll preview a couple of mine. Uh, these are movies like American History X, like Schindler's List, those kind of films that like, yeah, are just too emotionally fraught, too dark, too depressing. Both of those are very are great films. Uh, I don't want to ever want to see them again. <laughs> uh, movies that are just too damn long. And or have a pace that might be described as languid. I understand that. Uh, we're going to disagree on a couple of these uh, yeah. uh, when we get into it. But the, the classic example of that one for me is uh, Masaki Kobayashi's The Human Condition, which is nine hours long. And <laughs> come on, man. Exactly. Come on. If you can't do it in two, you can't do it in nine. Uh, and then finally, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of movies like this. These are great movies. 
landmark cinema that for whatever reason you just don't connect with or just don't like that much mm -hmm. uh, movies that I'm glad that I have seen yeah uh, but I don't think have a great deal of rewatch value uh, I'm gonna commit a travesty here and say something like Citizen Kane Ooh. might be in that category for me okay. um, gotcha so what, what right. other reasons do you think that we might have for not rewatching a movie um, I think excessive gore uh, when it's not called for or it's not appropriate to mm -hmm. the, the film itself mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that can turn you away from a movie and I've got one in my list um, we talked about Cannibal Holocaust before the, the movie, and oh. I don't think anybody has that on their list, but, but I didn't that include might that be one. On it now. <laughs> well, I, well I, I didn't include it because I, I thought that the spirit of the category was movies that you think are good. Right. Okay. Or have some value, but not maybe rewatch value. Yeah. I, that one, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and another thing, uh, back to your point about the, uh, the fact that you don't rewatch a lot of movies. I wonder also, uh, because we have access to so many films through streaming services these days, uh -huh. do we even need the uh, the rewatch factor? Whereas back in the 80s and the 90s when we were on VHS and mm -hmm. it, you had to go to the video store and sometimes mom wouldn't take you or whatever, you were stuck watching what you had. And it was a conscious physical choice. Yeah. You literally had, you know, you... It was only what you could carry out and pay for, you know, kind of thing. Or right. whatever t WTBS was running on, right. on their movie loops, you know. So I think that uh, the the rewatch factor has probably declined over the years because we have access to so much new media at any given time. I can't rewatch anything right now because I got so much I got to watch the first time, mm. or I just, right. or you know, it's just there's so much. I just I think of all the streaming services, you know, that I feel like I should give a shout out to in a fashion because I'm so beholden to them. But yeah, you're right. I don't really watch a lot over and over again because I'm constantly trying to get to something new. Yeah, uh, and uh, at the time of this recording, we've got one possible one and done uh, in theaters right now, the uh, uh, Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. That might be a one and done. Oh, yeah. I've got to go see it, uh, but uh, it could very well be one. And then uh, Bo is Afraid is definitely one for me. I will not watch it again. It caused me so much damned anxiety. I don't think I could go back to that well one more time. That's funny because I, um, I need to go back to it because I watched it with a friend, and we conversated throughout we didn't see it in the theater we just, just watched it. i missed it and whereas midsummer i can remember feeling that like you're saying that being uncomfortable yet still with that one wanting to go back and do it again and do it a yeah third time it was weird why why do why do i why do i subject myself to that but but i know what you mean where you can viscerally feel it in your bones yeah, I think Midsommar has that uh, um, can't turn away from a car accident kind of quality to it. It is. Where you're just like, oh, i got to watch that again. Uh, it is, but that one's a tough watch, too, though. I'm sure that's probably on a few people's lists. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ari Aster seems to really excel <laughs> at that. He does. I think he lives to make your life uncomfortable. I think he does. Um, does anyone want to go ahead and dive into a list? Uh, we've got plenty to talk about here. I'll go first. Go uh, for it. I'm going to, uh, my first one is actually, uh, sight and the, the, you know, the sight and sound top 100 list that comes out every so often, uh, on the 2022, which is their most recent list. This is actually the number one film on, on their list. Uh, I agree that it's a great film. Uh, I probably wouldn't put it at number one uh, on any list, uh, but it is Chantel Ackerman's 
Uh, it's an it's a name and an address. I'm not even going to attempt the French pronunciation. The name of the film is Jean Dielman, Quai 23, Commerce Quai, 1080 Brussels. And it is three and a half hours long. And it follows the main character uh, who's played with aplomb by Delphine Seyrig as she goes about her daily routines in this very drab apartment. Uh, we watch her pat out a meatloaf in real time. It takes about six or seven minutes for her to do it. She peels potatoes to make potato soup at least twice during the movie. Uh, one of those times she drops one of the potatoes. Get the peeling, and, kid. Yeah, she, when she drops the potato, it's the it's it's bracing because it's the most, you know. Uh, something she also, happened, something kinetic happened. Yeah, and she also, she turns a trick or two uh, during the afternoons. Uh, which are also presented in very mundane, you know, understated fashion. There is a bit of action at the very end. I won't spoil it because like I said, it is a great film. Uh, but it is, for my money, has no rewatch value whatsoever. But one thing, I have just found this out today. It was her debut film, Chantal Ackerman, and Ooh. like the chutzpah that it took to put this out as your very first movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, so I give her credit for that. Uh, it is a great film. I don't know that I would put it number one as Sight and Sound has done. Uh, but it's kind of a hallmark of feminist cinema. Uh, she made it with an entirely female crew, um, and it's a very you know feminist story, if you can call it a story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great film. Is it eminently watchable? Yes. Is it eminently rewatchable? Absolutely not. That when you told me about this, it reminded me of uh, Wim Wenders' Until the End of the World, uh-huh. uh, the uncut director's version, which stars William Hurt. Rest in peace. And it's uh, a great movie, but the uncut version is a full on like four or five hours long. It's a lot to take in. I've had this on my to watch list forever, and I just I've never had the the wherewithal to actually. Yeah, it's you. You really have to kind of. Uh, it's like a sick day watch or something. <laughs> that or, or, or divide it into <laughs> chunks if you can, kind of deals. Lee, what have you got on your list? Uh. I'm going to go straight into the, the the populist choice, which is a Clockwork Orange. Okay. I can watch Clockwork Orange again. I have watched it again, but it's one of those I got. I no longer. I didn't derive any true pleasure from it initially, <laughs> but I don't. But it's also I get it. But there's so much more Kubrick I could watch that is just as depressing, but isn't as as just brutal. You know, just because it's just the sheer scope of the opening mm-hmm. thirty minutes of it. You know, and even then, and it flips around, and they do the same things to Alex, and and, he, and Kubrick does this weird thing where it's like you feel empathy for him, or I, I guess or you feel like that ain't right, and I was like, I don't want to watch him suffer any more than I wanted to watch the people at the beginning of it suffer, and so I got it, I got the point, but that's about as far as I really need to take it at this point. It's kind of like you know, it's every once in a while I watch a documentary on Kubrick, and it'll have little clips of it, and it's like that's about as far as I need to go. This is one that um, I agree with you. And this is one that when I was younger, you know, 21, 22 years old, I was just first getting into, quote unquote, serious cinema. cinema. I sort of worshipped at the altar of this movie. And I watched it again as an adult, maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And it bothered me in a way that it didn't when I was younger. And I guess my just sensibilities had changed. But that's that that, I I can see that one. Yeah, it's funny you should bring it up because I've seen a couple of videos online of people talking about 
Clockwork Orange and how uh, if you like this movie, you're just a fan of rape, you know? And I was like, well, that's kind of distilling it down to a little too simplistically. But uh, yeah. I, I like what, what what Lee said was about the, the flip-flop of, of the fact that you do have this despicable character yeah. who the tables turn and you you somehow pull empathy out of it. It's no, um, it's no better watching it happen to him than it was to anybody that he did the same things to. There's just, definitely one that... Uh, I've watched it more than once, but it's not one that I would pull off the shelf to, to go back again and again and again. Same here. And it's an interesting movie because it does. It looks so different, you know, especially if you could take a comic off of 2001 Space Odyssey, which is clean and pristine and perfect. Yeah. And the Clockwork Orange has, it's not quite as, as uh, snuffy as, let's say, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which looks like a snuff flick, in my opinion. Right. Oh, I might have that one. That might hit the list. Uh, but Because uh, that's another one that's hard to watch. It's because there's something dirty about A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. It just... It, and then and then he flips it back around. I know we're going to talk about it. He flips back around with Barry Lyndon, where it's pristine and perfect. It's kind of like... It's, it's Stanley Kubrick's dirty little secret movie, you know, in a way. Anyway. The first one I've got on my list is... And I kind of seem to have like a theme for destruction... <laughs> On, on my list. I like that. Uh, but Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1986, uh, directed by John McNaughton, yeah. uh, who directed Wild Things. Yeah. <laughs> of all things. Uh, but it stars Michael Rooker, Tracy Arnold, and uh, Tom Tolles. Uh, this is Rooker's first big role. And we talked about it on the show before, uh, but it is the very loose interpretation of the story of Henry Lee Lucas, the right. serial killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lives with his friend. Um, Otis Tool. Yeah, and they he has a girl living with them too. And you talk about tension, you know, you keep wondering through the whole film, is he going to kill her? But he goes and does his murders and he takes his friend with him and kind of makes him a, an accomplice and shows him the ropes. Yep. It's grim. It is. It is just like... And... and so many times serial killer movies sensationalize it right. to where it almost becomes sexy, you know, to be a fan of a serial killer. It walks a thin line. And this movie does not. This no, movie doesn't. is so mundane and sad and depressing and, and desolate. And ugly. Yeah, yeah. There, just, there's nothing. The there, there is really nothing about the life of a serial killer that you should fucking celebrate. The so, only... Good. No, no, I'm sorry. I said the only person you have you have any empathy for is the girl, and she is like swimming in sharks. Yeah, the whole time you feel it. Mm. So here's the test. I, I have not seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, would you suggest that someone watch it the first time, even though you're oh a hundred percent, absolutely a hundred percent, because of those just the reasons I just listed. Right. It gives you this very real world kind of look of what it must be like to be in that. White trash world. Completely, yeah, yeah. White trash world. Very freaky. Just the fact that you're a you're a killing machine, and you have no empathy. There's nothing about your life whatsoever that has redeeming qualities. So since you haven't seen it, I appreciate you mention that. My my the most the scene that messes with me most on has got to be the videotape. Oh yeah, watching one of the crimes. Back it up. Yeah. Oh god. After watching the tape, you'll see. Oh, it's. It's a tough watch. It's definitely, you'll be done with it when you're done with it. Mm-hmm. I'll save this for uh, when I'm in an uh, emotionally secure place. Definitely. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, a desolate is, is the word I would use just oh, yes. for this, the, the emotions and. Uh, 
All right, Joey, what have you got next? Uh, my next one is, uh, I think, going to be a controversial one. Uh, people <laughs> love this movie, and I, 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 I do think that it's good, borderline great. Um, it is Uncut Gems, uh, the Safdie Brothers uh, film starring Adam Sandler, uh, who turned in a rightly uh, lauded performance, I think. I mean, it's hard to believe that this is the same guy who did Hubie Halloween close thereafter. Hubie Halloween is a movie that I unwittingly watch over and over and over again because for some reason my wife and my son love it and we watch it like multiple times every Halloween. Uh, Bless so, your heart, sir. <laughs> yeah, Bless your heart. Uh, so, you know, y'all, y'all are familiar with this movie. Oh, yeah. uh, Sandler plays a uh, gambling addict. He's a jeweler named Howard Ratner, uh, which is like a Dickens-style name because it sounds like the character. Um, Didn't it, though? I hadn't thought about that. That's brilliant. His performance is like nails on a chalkboard, and he nails it. He does a great performance. Uh, the movie also features one of the most grating scores I have ever heard in my life and it's loud the first time that I the only time that I watched this movie I thought something was wrong with the sound uh-huh. on my television because the score especially at the beginning is tuned, turned so loud and it's just grating you know synthesizer score it's a great movie. It's also noteworthy, I think, for Kevin Garnett yes. uh, turning in probably the best athlete perform non actor athlete performance. He's playing himself, but he does it really well. Uh, it's all about you know a rare black opal that becomes the center of this you know sort of mafia intrigue and whatnot. And it's 135 minutes. It feels like three days. <laughs> and I was on the verge of a panic attack the entire movie just because of. Not so much because of the plot, which is intense, but just the score and Sandler's performance, and it's just it's an anxiety-inducing. And film. he's like a moth to a flame the whole time. You're just you like, see what's happening. Yeah, you're just you, like, dude, yeah. you've got to fucking back off, and he won't do it. I agree with you on Kevin Garnett. Anytime I see Kevin Garnett on television now, I'm like. Oh my God, you're such an evil bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only was he, he nailed the performance, but he was willing to play that version of Yeah, himself. the Safety brothers like, did a great job pulling that yeah. performance out of him. I would love to see him in other stuff just to see what else he can do. Mm-hmm. Lee, you were going to say something? No, uh, no, I was just going to say it's amazing what, what, when you could pull that off, when you could pull off it with that athlete. And they do a little bit more than you ever thought they could, especially playing a villain, mm-hmm. which has got to be fun. I guess they think it has to be. That had to oh, be yeah. a fun, yeah. fun day, fun day on the on the job. So many, so many athletes are just so concerned with with boosting their brand that they wouldn't come off like a douchebag, right. you know, on screen right. playing themselves. Exactly. And he, he does it, and he and he he's acting even though he's playing himself, and he does a really good job. Yeah, I agree. But uh, that's interesting that that's a one and done for you. Um, that said, I have not gone back and watched it. I, I remember it fondly, but uh, I do see what you're saying about the the, the panic attack the whole time. Mm. <laughs> and it's just bleak. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good old-fashioned bleak. Sometimes that's all it takes. You, you hit me with that wrong thing. And I know there's one that's going to come up that's going to, it's all about bleak. Oh. Well, Lee, hit us with one. Okay, uh, this is one that might throw everybody off a little bit, but Garbage Pail Kids. I hate that fucking movie. I fucking hate that movie. Saw that in theaters. I actually saw that in Rockin' Dead, North Carolina. There used to be a couple movie theaters there. And one of them was the Plaza Two, Plaza Twin. And I had become friends with like 
basically were kind of owned by the same people. And I, I would buy movie posters from this guy you know, who ran one of them. And long and short was, I got into it free. But that is the closest I've ever come to walking out of a movie theater. <laughs> I fucking hate that disgusting little mean, shitty little movie. I, that, obviously, obviously, language is not a barrier, so y'all haven't seen anything. So I, I saw it. you. I saw you comment on this on Twitter a few yeah. weeks ago. Uh, and I think somebody mentioned something about along the same lines of this about things that you just don't want to ever see again. And you, you went right to it. Oh, I went right to the uh, heart of it. I hate that fucking movie. Anthony Newley, poor bastard is stuck in that. And he's just was in his career. It's like, you deserve better. But it's just, it is. It's just, I remember the, the makeup's awful. They look terrible. It's unfunny. This it's, is the my introduction to this movie, too. So I, I did not know this existed until Garth this Pell moment. Kids. So do you know what Garbage Pail Kids is? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, oh, for the general audience, so Garbage Pail Kids, in case there really is nobody that knows about this movie, and where, where stickers that were made by Tops, and they represented like like this this sort of perverted, you know, Cabbage Patch Kid variation of marketing products. And long and short of it was, it was just even a gross out eight year old humor. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And Paramount Pictures made it. That's on them. That is on <laughs> Paramount. They they act like they're like yo, you know, like we we don't like Friday Thirteenth, but uh, here make another one. Let's make some money. But that, now just I'm digressing and, and just giving Paramount a hard time. But long and short, it's just it's just a bad movie. It's poorly made. It's just not funny. The protagonist isn't likable. The girl in it is really dislikable. Um, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just, and that, you'll notice, I, I got another one, I'm going to come back around that one that's going to be kind of similar to that, but it's just, it's just, it's not a good movie, because I like that you're picking good movies, not me, Jack. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, re, I'll reach in the trash can and grab something I don't like. But. Um, well, I guarantee you, though, that there is, there's an online community of people who worship at the altar of this movie. Oh, I got pushback. <laughs> there's a fan, I bet you that there's yeah. a, uh, a fan community. I got a small amount of pushback. <laughs> Nothing major, but I did on that conversation. Yeah. I was fascinated, because there were some people like you know nobody was like hey man but it was just you could tell they liked it it's like mm -hmm. and they were kind of put <laughs> off and it was like well, good for you like get off my cloud i don't like <laughs> that fucking flick <laughs> uh, the podcast how did this get made has covered this movie and it's it, it sounds terrible i've never watched it oh uh, you're not missing nothing. Uh, i was uh, this sounds like a watch party waiting it to happen. maybe yeah oh uh, it does now she mentioned in that fashion yes it yeah. does uh, I do wish I had held on to my garbage pill kid stickers yeah, from when I was a kid because there are a few that are worth thousands. My mom of dollars. would not let me have them, so. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Good call, mom. <laughs> oh, man. Um, continuing down my path of destruction, uh, Requiem for a Dream from oof, the year 2000. Oof. Which is actually going to overlap. That's going to be. That's actually one of mine as well. Yes, Homeboy's arm, man. Uh, mm. Directed by Darren Aronofsky, who, like uh, Ari Aster, mm -hmm. um, seems to enjoy putting the audience through the ringer. He does. Um, I think that uh, that this one qualifies. Uh, you have Ellen Burstyn, who was nominated for an Oscar for this role, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, lost to uh, Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Uh, Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, and Marlon Wayans. With a great performance. Yeah. I mean, he shines. I mean, I hate that he never got the credit and moved into a completely different playing field because he's outstanding in there. So you've got a bunch of uh, folks in Coney Island who, uh, for one reason or another, are addicted to drugs. <laughs> of one form or another. Yeah, it, because it, Jared Leto is an aspiring uh, uh, drug dealer. He and Marlon Wayans are. Yes, they are. 
Um, his girlfriend, Jennifer Connelly, were they were they romantic? The, yeah, they remember. are. So it's okay. his girlfriend, and she's just his junkie girlfriend. They're yeah. Just, they're there. And she's an artist. Her whole thing is she's like this aspiring artist yeah. kind of thing, avant-garde artist, and they're not going. None of them are going anywhere. Ellen Burstyn plays Jared Leto's mother, and she is addicted to these, this uh, self-help TV show that she's watching. Mm. Was it Cappy something? I oh, can't. I can't remember his name. It's, 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 it's homeboy from, um, oh, God, from... Uh, Happy Gilmore, uh, Christopher McDonald. Right, right, right. That's right. Shooter McGavin, yep, and uh, she becomes addicted to these weight loss pills. So she can't fit in the dress, this so old you, red dress that she used to wear. Which I thought was a kind of kind of clever because a lot of times when people think about drug addiction, especially at the time that this was made, people think about you know street level drugs, you know co- uh, cocaine, crack, and you know and heroin and heroin because yeah. heroin was the big thing in this one. And then, but you've got her with her her uh, consumer grade yep. addiction yep. going down the same spiraling path of destruction, and it becomes just frenetic, chaotic. Oh, God. And and anxiety riddled and that score, dun, 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 dun. yeah, yeah, dun, 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 it's just one of in. those films that that takes a lot of these elements that we were talking about about just being on the edge of your seat in the wrong way, not in an enjoyable way. Pressure, and when it's over, you're just spent, and you're like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" And you're exhausted. The biggest thing that I take away from it is. I was, I've had, back when I was a kid in the 80s, I had a big fat crush on Jennifer Connelly. And you watch that movie and you watch that amazing performance, that heartbreaking, terrifying to see performance. And it's just, it's like, it's just like it broke that for me. It's just kind of, you see her at the end of what her character does <laughs> for a fix, what she's willing to do. And it's kind of like, and I was like, no, not Jennifer Connelly. So it's got that aspect into it. And like you said, it's just you watch them just, just crumble apart. Like you said, his arm, her, I can see the shock therapy at the end. You know, and just, you know, you watch this poor woman of Ellen Burstyn just, you know, all she wants to do is be on this show because her son's a douchebag druggie and you know she hopes for better for him but there is no better for him and it's just a it's just it's like it's, it's a downward spiral for everybody and the only person that i feel like comes out half-assed decent is marlon wayans he's in jail and who knows how long he'll be in there for but maybe he can get out of it he's the only one that has and and i should know when he sits there and gets sick and pukes into whatever he's stirring for dinner that's the direct the writer of the book this is based on hubert selby is the mean mm-hmm. bigoted cop that comes up there and push it and fucking with him and whatnot also wrote last exit to, to uh, brooklyn i was Another gonna say one. that's a uh, that's a one and done book for me yeah yeah <laughs> just put it at my chin and pull the trigger so i know too he's like no selby is just like no i can't do it so, so yeah that one for me is probably if I had to name one out of my entire list of, of one and dones, that is one because it is that emotionally exhausting journey that you're just so done with by the finish of the film. Aronofsky kind of specializes in the one and done genre, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever watched Black Swan a second time. Yeah. I don't think I have. And I can think Pi. I tried to give Pi multiple tries back in the day. Oh, I can watch Pi. Pi's a little more. I, watch, got that score I, I can mm-hmm. I can watch Pi because it makes me feel like I'm watching like a a, a, a relative of a David Lynch movie. It mm-hmm. does, and it feels like an MTV cli- uh, 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 bump or whatever commercial MTV real real. Oh yeah, from the edit. back in the day, yeah. Well, we, you, know, you, know, you want the Ming Mecca chip, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. It's just it's so good. But you're right. But then you go and watch those like Mother, and it's kind of like. Ugh. 
You know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I gotta think. You know, That's another think. one that could be on this list. Yeah, too. I thought it might could be Absolutely. too. It's just kind of like, hey, there could be some David Lynch on this list. Oh yeah, oh, I'm not. See, I'm I'm a Philistine. I love some Lynch. I'm sorry, I'm, but mm. I, I'm not a big fan of Lost Highway. Okay, and I don't really love you know um, Mulholland because I feel like they're the same movie in a fashion. They're a movie, and about halfway through, they're another movie, and it just throw they just throw me. Do we want to go ahead and do intermission early? I mean, we still got a little ways to go, but uh, I figure that this is a yeah. whatever's cool. Well, then, uh, who wants to sing a song? <laughs> Let's, Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get Have ourselves a drink. Oh, what would be a one and done snack? Sorry, I can't um, resist. Twizzlers, an everlasting <laughs> gobstopper. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Black licorice. Black yeah. licorice. I, I like that. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And we're back. Uh, I personally... Went and peed in the yard. The other two camels here did not. But uh, for the moment, I'm storing my water for later. <laughs> Joey, when we come back from intermission, what do we like to do? Well, Sean, we like to drink beer and we like to talk about drinking beer. Yes, we do. We have lots of beer in here today. Um, I'm going to go first because this one is kind of movie themed. The beer is called Five Point Palm Exploding Heart Technique. Awesome. For you Kill Bill fans out there. It's a collaboration beer from Lincoln and South uh, down in Hilton Head, I think. And uh, Southern Swells Brewing Company, who I'm not familiar with. So uh, if uh, you're listening there, Southern Swells, send me some beer and tell me about yourselves. Uh, What have you got there, Lee? So today I've got Shiner's Tex Hex. It is a India IPA brewed with cactus water. Comes in at 7.0. I found this at Mickey Finn's in Florence, South Carolina on Second Loop Road. It's Woo. very good. I'll give a plug. Joey, uh, or what have you got there? I was drinking uh, whatever Todd left in my refrigerator. Oh, the peanut night. butter jelly time the, from Catawba? Yes, the peanut butter jelly time. Yes. All right. It was a brown ale. Okay. Um, I should also note that uh, despite being a movie podcast, we're all wearing band shirts today somehow. <laughs> this was not discussed previously, but nope. Joey's got a Pixie shirt, which you saw them recently with Todd. Is that right? I did not. You did not? No. Okay. And then uh, Lee is wearing his David Bowie Low shirt, which I like. Thank you. And I'm wearing my uh, Bauhaus uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead shirt. So. Which is awesome, too. So. Both of you, you, both of y'all are you just shining. It's gold. It's gold, baby. So. Low is the album that, like, you know, it's every, every, it's every like, record hipsters, hey. like, number yeah. one album. And for a long time, I was resistant to it because of that. Yeah. And I listened to it for the first time maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, and it blew my motherfucking mind. And I was like, you know what? They're right. It's a cool album because you've got, like, his connection to, like, bluesy music on one side, and the other side's kind of experimental. Side two, Brian Eno. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it a so neat good. My Lord album. and Savior, Brian Eno. It's just, you know, it's because it's you've got the, he's got the rhythm section that he's been working with since Young Americans. It'll work with through until Scary Monsters. That's Carlos Alomar, and it's like, 
I can't remember these guys, the guy's name, but they're like the best rhythm section on the planet. And, and you're right, low is so good because you've got that sort of slightly avant-garde, funky, and then you got pure avant-garde on the second side. Anyway, sorry, this is not David Bowie. Like no, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I like our detours. Um, all right, we're going to continue with our list of our one and dones, and hopefully you've thought of a few of your own that you can tell us about uh, later on when we give out the social media contacts. Joey, you're up. Uh, I'm going to piggyback on one that uh, Lee was saying earlier. Lee had a uh, Kubrick selection earlier, mm-hmm. um, Clockwork Orange, which I agree with. I'm going to put one on here, too, which I, I think we, we were talking about this beforehand, <laughs> and you, you sort of balked uh, when I said it, but it's Barry Lyndon. No. 1975 is a great movie. It is slow. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I'm not against the slow burn film. But I feel like in this one, there's like, you talked about the difference between Kubrick's Dirty Little Secret and like the very pristine, like 2001. This one is like, he's just striving for just perfection in every single shot. And it's a very languidly paced movie. It's three and a half hours long. I probably should rewatch this one again because I'm not sure that I remained conscious through the entire film, and that's not necessarily a commentary on the film. Maybe that's on me. But Barry Lyndon is one that I think, for me, for whatever reason, doesn't have a whole lot of rewatch value. You're going to disagree with me. You know I'm dying to do it. Um, So I do feel like every moment is a painting. I think you're Mm -hmm. right, especially in the latter half, the second act, so to speak, after the intermission, no less. Um, is very much designed where the camera just pulls back and it's like a painting. And you're right. You, you kind of want, you gotta want that because you're right. I think the main thing I like is the the narration. And it's one of those movies. If you do rewatch it, flip on the subs. It's worth it just for the little underlying stuff that the narrator says that kind of pulls you along. But you're right. It's 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 based on William H. P. Thackeray. It's it's a slow burn. It is. You get, but I think it's just one of those. As I've gotten older, I've just kind of. I think I like you said. I had an affinity, but I was always, rep- I still always were repelled by Clockwork Orange even when I was younger. But I had more of an affinity for it, you know. And, you know like, oh, it's okay. I defended a little bit more. Now it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I got it. But yeah, everything you say, everything you say about Barry is absolutely true. It's just, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Because I guess it's a, it's a mood movie. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, you know, it's kind of again, it's like, yeah, all right, I gotta be willing to just kind of go through the motions, kind of thing. But. Every once in a while, I get that right, that right buzz, and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the motions. <laughs> well, Lee, what's your next movie? Mm. So, we'll go to the heart of the one that I can't really stand. And I have not seen this movie in a very long time, so I can't tell you very much about it, but I really do not like The Last American Virgin. It's from 1982. It's basically uh, one of those early 80s teen sex comedies. It's a romp. Like Porky's. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's, it's like Porky's. And the core of it is, is you've got this group of dumb guys they get these little adventures and they, they're all trying to get laid. It's all about that. And the main character falls in love with this girl that goes to high school with him, played by the lovely Diane Franklin, who I had a very big crush love on. Love Diane Franklin. From Better Off Dead. And, and of course, Amityville 2, which is another skeezy one. I don't really watch it much either. It's and Bill like, and Ted's Excellent and Adventure. And Bill but, but I, I would I'm love lo- to have her on the show. Oh, she's I would love for you to have her on the show. Freaking and, great. And she's so, she's so awesome. And, and she plays the girl that he falls in love with. And all right, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this real quick. So the quick and dirty of it is that she's not really interested in him. She's interested in one of his friends, who's the, the Lothario of the bunch. That guy gets her pregnant. 
And so then our main character, out of duty, and just because he's in love with her, takes her and helps her get an abortion, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But five minutes later, practically, they go to a party, and it appears that they're fine together. He's in love. He's pulled her out of the fire, got her what she needed to get, and he walks around the corner, and there she is making out, kissing the guy that got her pregnant. And he is just, you see, our main character is heartbroken and they're sad because they've been caught. And he leaves and he gets in his car and he drives off and tears are streaming down his face and the fucking credits roll. And that shit pisses me off. <laughs> it always pissed me off. And it's like, what? That's it? That's your resolution, your denouement to this movie that's just a basic dumb sex comedy? You're going to take a serious stance and I'm like, fuck you. I do not like that movie. That's another category for reasons why it might be a one and done is the ending that you just really, really hate. hate yeah, the, the gut punch ending. ending. Well, yes, I was yes. also going to say, that I haven't yeah. seen this movie, but those types of films, those 80s sex romps, we talked about Revenge of the Nerds mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just, way just, back in the day with Andrew. Those kind of movies tend to not age of well. Course they don't. <laughs> of course not. My wife and I, and it's funny that we do, we love 16 Candles from John Hughes. I love 16 Candles. It's still hilarious. It's still funny. But but there's uh, there's all kind of, especially in, in, in our modern world, you know, especially in the post me We call movement, that sexual assault now. It really yeah. is. You know, yeah. he, you know, Ted may have been so drunk, but he still you know, took advantage of the high school prom queen. Even, even if she doesn't mind that he did, it's still, it's still sexual assault. And it's kind yeah. of like, man, it's so fucking different now it really <laughs> is it's like it's just think about the 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 what we went through and how times change it's, good good pick man i hate that fucking um, movie <laughs> oh, God. i wish that the the listeners at home could get lee is you could just see how viscerally he feels about this too <laughs> it is it just bugs me to know and it's like yeah this is this is the best you can. bob clark made Porky's. Porky's is not a good movie, but it's still fairly good because it's maybe the guy that made Black Christmas. It's like, come on. The last maker version is a very bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, continuing down my path of destruction, uh, I'm talking about Leaving Las Vegas from Ooh. 1995. Ooh. Uh, Nicolas Cage got the best actor for this. As he should have. For the Oscars. Which is interesting. Uh, directed by Mike Vegas, uh, also starring Elizabeth Shue and Julian Sands. Oh. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, <sighs> and she's and you know what she in that is kind of like Jennifer Connelly in in Requiem. Oh yeah, it's one of those where it's kind of like, oh man, yeah, your image of her kind of gets a little tarnished. tarnished. Yeah, it does. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays a writer who uh, has lost everything due to his alcoholism, and he's decided to go to Las Vegas to drink himself to death. Yep, and he has forged a non-interference pact with a prostitute, a sex worker. Sorry. Yep, and. Uh, it is one of those grim fucking paths of destruction films and it's gut wrenching. It's yeah. awful and it's wonderful. And it's one that I don't want to ever see again. I saw this in the theaters when it came out and wow. we had plans to go out drinking afterwards and we did not. Mm-hmm. And wow. we were like 22 years old at the time. Wow. So that's, that's a testament to how, yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. It's like, I got it. The effect it has <laughs> on it. you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you feel for, I felt more for Elizabeth Shue, I guess. I do, too. Because um, she has to witness it. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're bearing witness to this, and you've made this agreement, but you obviously realize that uh, and he, this wasn't the best idea. And yet, everything's set forth, and we can't change course at this and point. she's still probably the best person that could be with him. He's going to do this no matter what. And that's what's messed up about it is, but she's, you know, the best circumstance could give him to deal with it. And, but like you say, she has to bear witness and she has to live with it you know, after. 
And as a result, that's a one and done for me. I don't need to see that nope. again. It's just, it, and, I, and I'll tell you another thing. I mean, if you've ever known somebody who has been on a dark path, and been self-destructive, an irreversible dark path of destruction, you don't want to go through that again as a friend. No. And this is very much what this movie is. You are a passive passenger who's just kind of observing this and you just I don't I don't need to see it again that's funny because that's no, not funny but that's funny because I mean that's kind of like the same thing with Requiem I feel like yeah we are I feel like I'm, I'm like Alex in a clockwork orange strapped to the chair with my eyes pried yeah. open <laughs> watching the, watching the desolation of four characters yeah. right for my eyes in a span of two hours very much so with great editing <laughs> I, that's what, I, I do want to circle back to Requiem it's like that's the, that's like you know that's like Orson Welles F for fake editing it's just like chop 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 yeah I can see it's like you cook it pull it stick it oh. <laughs> you know kind of thing I can yeah. see the Simpsons doing it that kind of thing I'm sorry no, that's very, very a visual concept in a very vocal medium Joey right, I'm gonna go in a much different direction with this one um this one would fall into the category of movies that are just too emotionally fraught uh-huh. uh, to return to. Uh, this is Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, yes. uh, Studio Ghibli, I believe. It is. Um, yes, sir. Directed um, by... Let me get my glasses and, on for and this I'm, one. I'm, and as much as I love Ghibli, I don't always know the secondary directors. I don't... Yeah, Isao Takahaka. Uh, it, I'm, if I murdered that pronunciation, I do apologize. Uh, 1988 uh, anime feature. Um, not your typical anime fair. This is about two orphans, a brother and sister, who are orphaned by the atomic bombing on Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, Oppenheimer. Um, and it is just bleak and desolate. They wander through the countryside, literally starving to death. Yes. They're taken in briefly by a family of distant relatives, I believe. And they're cruel. And they just turn them out because they don't have enough food to give <laughs> to share with them. True. Um, and it is, I, I'm about to start weeping thinking about this. Uh, I watched this movie in the early 2000s with the woman that I was at the time dating. Mm-hmm. And I was openly weeping during this film and she was like what's wrong with you you're making i was like i, I cry at movies okay get wrong with it you want to look at this woman and say it's called empathy <laughs> it's called empathy which mm-hmm. you don't have we're not getting into all that right, right now right. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast that's a whole other podcast. Uh, but this is one that um yeah there it's a great film it's an emotionally rending experience it's beautifully drawn it and rendered is. it's, it's heartbreaking it and it just i will not watch it again ever everything you just said i could not agree with more it's a perfect summation of it because it is it's just you at the end you literally just watch them die and be ignored even in death Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's the bottom line of life and death. It really is. It's just, yeah, and, and a movie that sad should not be that fucking beautiful. And, but it oh, is, well, that's Ghibli. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the beauty of Ghibli is it doesn't when it when it, when when, it, when they don't hold back, they don't hold back. They really don't. I've not seen this, so thanks for the spoilers. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert! The world is a terrible place. Yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of caught that drift. <laughs> Uh, Lee, what you got next? All right, oh my God, let me see. I did have one, so I don't really. So I've got a kind of a. So I didn't prepare as well as I should, but I've got a bit of a jumble of kind of movies that I probably either haven't seen or really not. I'm not a fan of watching again, and so I think about movies like Martyrs or a Serbian film. 
I know that. I know, oh yeah, I've not I, seen that, but I've heard and I've, read enough to make me not want to watch it. I, that's the. Uh, I mean, it's just a separate category. I feel like it's kind of like you know, I'll watch most anything, but say at a certain point, I will draw a line. It's kind of like you know, I'm, I am here to have fun. You know, I'm here to enjoy the the, the experience, mm-hmm. or at least even like say like Midsummer, where it's kind of like maybe it's not the most enjoyable experience in a way, but there must be something that keeps you come back. There's something in it that gets those neurons firing. But yeah, there's certain ones. It's like I can't do it. You know, well, it's kind of like when you approach a dog that's frothing at the mouth, yeah. and you're like, I probably shouldn't touch that. Audition is another one. <laughs> Audition is another perfect example. It's kind of like, you know, it's just so brutally, perfectly graphic. It's kind of like, I got it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, even, this is not even of the same level, but I think like Halloween by Rob Zombie. It's just a dirty, ugly movie. I don't want to watch it again. Well, but, but probably the progenitor of all of this is the poster on the wall that I'm looking at right now, which is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm sure I'll watch it again. But I'm not one of those people that really likes Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's I love a slasher all day long, 24-7. But it's just a dirty, grubby, snuff-looking flick. And it's just, it's... Go. No, I was going to say, I, you said snuff film. I think that that was the moment when horror stopped being fun. Yep. And... I'm glad Todd's not here because we would probably come to blows at this point. Uh, he is a disciple of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I do. I think that's the move. You said the, the word snuff film, and it feels like that. It does. It's obviously it's not, but that's yeah. the move. And I've seen the movie. I, I, I'm not saying that I hate it, but I do think that that's the moment when horror stopped being fun and or a certain brand of horror, a certain genre of horror stopped being fun and started being more about depravity than hills have eyes yeah which oh, is a oh, great film oh, too. oh god i just I, screw it i'll watch this one again last house of the left that's yeah. my fifth one yeah fuck it i don't want to watch it again i yeah. got it yeah, it's la- another one i got it i was gonna it. say that was gonna be the i was gonna add that and then i spit on your grave the, 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 oh. I, those kind of all fit in the same kind of yeah i appreciate revenge horror i appreciate it just like i appreciate cannibal horror but again, it's just not always my cup of tea. We mentioned earlier. You're not going to rewatch it like you would a Nightmare on Elm Street, Cannibal or Holocaust, where you're kind of getting some chuckles along the way and some. Uh, yeah, we yeah. discussed that earlier. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. I can appreciate it for what it is, but I'm not really going to go back and watch it again. And I, I definitely got to probably skim it if nothing else. Yeah, you know, kind of things like yeah, just for the obvious animal stuff. But uh, who's yeah. next? Is it me? It's you. I believe so. Do it. All right. Well. Speaking of horror films, I'm going to go with The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> it is. From 2004, oh. uh, directed by uh, Mel Gibson, uh, direct, uh, starring Jim Caviezel and Monica Bellucci. Woof. Hubba hubba. Uh, three Oscar noms for this movie. Um, uh, it focuses on the last 12 hours of the life of Jesus Christ, Eshua, as it was in the film. Yep. I saw this in the theater. Really? In Knoxville, Tennessee. Really? So I was amidst people who were having a spiritual experience watching it. Wow. And were, were, were really reacting to it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's, if memory serves, it's basically Jesus getting his ass kicked for yeah, like it's, three it hours. Yeah, it's right? two hours yeah. of, the, of the persecution and beating and cruelty towards Christ. I mentioned torture porn to you yes. uh, off mic about, you know, the hot hostile and human centipede and saw, you know, that, that, that era of horror. Yeah. The, I, this kind of fits right in there and it came out around the same time. It does. You know, it really does. Where yeah. you have this uh, really uh, pornographic kind of uh, obsession with flagellation and body horror that would kind of make Cronenberg go, huh. 
Um, I agree because you're right. Because I can just I can see him putting the I, and I, it's one of those I didn't I've never seen it all the way through, but I've seen enough. And so I can see him putting the 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 crown of thorns and just you know it is it's just the bleeding and the body horror of it. It really is. <clears throat> this was the, the 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 beginning of the public kind of uh, awareness of Mel Gibson and where he stands politically, uh, religiously, politically, and. Uh, it's it's Catholic torture porn. It is uh, uh, very much a pointing the finger at the at, at the Jews, and it's just not a good scene. And it's one of those movies that obviously, I mean, yeah, you can't argue with three Oscar nominations. And, oh, yes, so you can. there is merit oh, to yes, the th- there's merit to the film, but at the same time, I don't yeah. want to see it again. I didn't enjoy it. I, I just I can recognize that it was well made. But I would rather watch uh, the Last Temptation of Christ over this movie. Absolutely, I, I mean, and that's not exactly a one I just. It's not. Go back a, that's to the well. not one I watch over and over I'd either. Go back to the well for that one a lot either. So. But uh, but this one was definitely a, a horror film in my opinion. It I did is. not understand the obsession with this and how some people can view it as an inspirational film. I remember when it came out and how there was just you know, it made that bank. People came to it. They yeah. came to it kind of like like the the the, the junk that's out there right now at the theater they're coming to it kind of thing the um anyway uh-huh yeah that one. i ain't gonna say his name but uh but yeah it is it's just kind of like i'm not a very good christian so <laughs> and so it's kind of like i was like okay you know it's like if that's your thing that's your bag okay but don't 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 i mean i don't kind of flip when i go see a horror movie i might cheer every now and again but yeah. exactly you know, it's like i don't have a religious conversion i just saw a great fucking film that's about yeah. it so this one, uh, this one definitely uh, was a, a draining for me, uh, Joey. Uh, I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna switch it up. Uh, I, originally, I had slotted for this last pick. This is our last round, right? Yeah, this uh, is our last round. I had uh, originally had slotted American History X for this one, uh-huh. which fits into this one uh, mostly for the curb stomp scene oh, and just because it's just fucking ugly and it's real and you know I, I don't need to see that again. But uh, I'm going to switch it up and piggyback on that one. This is the movie that I just saw for the first time last night. Um, and it, uh, regular guest Todd and I have this, uh, this movie challenge thing. It's like a bingo card. And gotcha. one of the, yeah. uh, there's 52, one for each week. One, there's 52 categories. And one of the categories this year was non-sploitation. Love it. I did not pick that. Uh, but uh, for that one, I watched last night The Devil's. Uh, Ken Russell's oh, 1972 film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was the non-sploitation category, and it fits that category, but really it should be the Oliver Reed exploitation category. I love yes. Oliver Reed. <laughs> well, oh, what a if disaster. you want to see torture porn featuring Oliver Reed getting tortured, then watch this movie. It's great. I love that movie. Uh, I'm not going to say it's great. I will say that it's good. It's great for bad reasons. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> And uh, it is uh, it delivers on everything that you think it's going to deliver on. My problem with like quote unquote transgressive cinema, which this I think qualifies, almost always stuff that's self consciously transgressive is more concerned with crossing boundaries and shocking the audience than it is with being good. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind it's of a like, very 70s thing anyway. Yeah. Yes. And I, again, I, this movie has value. Mm. I was expecting like exploitation trash basically, right. mm-hmm. but it's a film. Um, and it is, 
not a film that I really want to watch again, although I would watch a clip of the stuffed crocodile, which somehow shows up at one point. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on with that. But it's more concerned with just a general air of batshit craziness yeah. and transgression than it is with being a good than being a good film. It still manages to be pretty damn good, and I would suggest that people watch it. I'll watch anything with Oliver Reed, though. He, he's good. He's like Vanessa a, Redgrave is, is He's like is a sweaty too, ham. If you ever get a chance, he is. <laughs> Oliver, Oliver Reed. You know, that Stewie it's Griffin so is based on Oliver Reed. I can see it. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, very, and you see it like it's Rex Harris's voice, but it seems like I can see the Oliver Reed aspect of it. Yes, very much so. If you ever get a chance, a great Oliver Reed film that a friend turned me on to is called Revolver. It's a, it's yeah. a Italian Polizio Teschi. Mm. It's... um. Oliver Reed and Fabio Testi, and he's great too. And he pops up in another ones. He pops up especially in um, what what if what have you done to Solange? It was great, Charlie. Yeah, Oliver uh, Reed. But, uh, you should watch. Yeah. You should go on YouTube and look up Oliver Reed interviews, like on like the Tonight Show. Yeah, or Mike Douglas or something Sadly, like that. Sadly, the guy was an alcoholic, just yeah. a raging alcoholic, and and it, it interfered with his ability to succeed in life. Yes. And uh, didn't he drink Keith Moon to death? About yeah, just about yeah. I think so. Yeah, just. What, yeah. a, what a sad tale. I know. Um, I like that movie. I have not watched it a second time, but uh, I did enjoy that one. <laughs> That's the one where he's like the lusty Monsignor. He's a priest who gets accused no, of witchcraft and yeah. railroaded politically. They're yeah. sexually repressed nuns. And all the nuns are, are crazy about him, right? Yeah, and they're the, the nuns right. are mostly naked for like the, the and third, third on, and fourth act of the movie. So this yeah. is based on a, loosely based on a true story. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. last podcast on the left covered this. Really? And the, the, the true story is uh-huh. fascinating. Wow. Because it has to do with a group, group uh, uh, the, the mass, like a mass hysteria yeah, where, yeah, where, yeah. The, where they start thinking things that aren't real, but they all buy they into all believe it. it. Yeah, exactly. They all believe it. Also known as religion. This thing, um, <laughs> <laughs> this also, I love that. This also reminds me of almost like the beguiled, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood or Don Siegel's The Beguiled, where he's the uh, the Confederate soldier who's wounded. Like the uh, he winds up in the, like the, uh, it's, it's much more tame, but he winds up in you know in the care of a bunch of girls at a boarding school, a Southern boarding school. Y'all ever seen this? Really? <laughs> no, I have. It's not, great. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's trippy. It's a trippy The Beguiled. Place. The Beguiled is like seventy one. It's either Clint Eastwood directed it or it's Don Siegel who was kind of his mentor. Yeah. And, and and the long and short of it, it's good. It's Vera Miles. It's trippy. It ends up, and it's just on a, a weird, another side note, um, um, and it was not a success, really. Uh, Sophia Coppola did on like a remake of it about five years ago. Oh. It had a oh. decent-sized cast kind of thing, but it's kind of, and I'm sure it was a little more edgy, but The Beguiles is a trippy Clint Eastwood movie. Okay. It's kind of like, do, uh, double feature that and play Misty for me. There you go. Oh, Ooh. I like play Misty for me. They that's, would fit. Uh, that's a twisted movie. It is with Jessica Walter. Um, all right. Well, Lee, you're up with another uh, suggestion for the list. Irreversible. Oh, irre- Gaspar Noé's Irreversible. The movie essentially goes from the beginning to the end, from the, the end to the beginning, and you watch this desolation of these three characters, which all starts with this horrible rape of Monica Bellucci, and it is long and it extended and it's I have that's my my biggest thing. I have trouble with rape in the movie. I realize well, the point, and yeah. that's it. And but yeah, you know, but I said, but we're all empathetic. I feel like as your audience is as well. You know, it's kind of like it's just hard to watch, yeah. kind of thing. And there's a really really tough rape scene that and it's just and it's just drainingly depressing because you again you watch these people start out at the worst point and then you end the movie at their best point and it's like oh shit that's fucked up it's kind of like almost like memento but without 
I mean, Memento don't have a happy ending. But, you know, without that sort of sense of, you know, I don't know. The Memento has a few. I heard things. that. You know, it's funny you mentioned Memento, and I disagree with it. It made a few lists that I saw. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I think Memento has rewatch a bit, rewatch factor uh, that. But it's also it's a it's a bleak tale. Get, get it is that bleak. kind of thing of, of of you know time out of order kind of you know. I think it was put on the list because of the the twist. Yeah, but I don't I don't think that that's necessarily it has problem. kind of I would argue that it falls into the category of rewatchable movies. Yeah, because it like any kind of movie that's sort of like that mind fuck kind of thing where you are constantly trying to puzzle it out the entire time. I call it the fight club fight club effect. Yeah, then those yeah. kind of movies have I think intrinsic rewatch value, like Tenet for instance yes yeah one of those yeah. is like oh i see what was like really you can't happening. really comprehend it on the first watch no or i, I, I couldn't anyway no i agree yeah i mean and i love that kind of movie but this is one of those it's just like it's just cruel and it's just and gaspar noe is one of those kind of directors well, i've read i've done a little bit of research on his other films it's like one of his other ones <laughs> called um oh god i can't remember what it's called it's, but basically you've got this this group of dancers they're part of a troupe and it's, they're doing their last rehearsal before they do you know this big thing and they're having this big final party after they get done and somebody we don't know it initially but somebody spikes the, uh, the uh, punch which is sangria with LSD oh yeah I've seen this it's great uh, what is it what is it called I can't remember but it's but I like it, it is great uh, it, uh, the irreversible it's is, is tough. fucked up it is fucked up it's supreme that was fucked up I can't remember there was like climax a yeah, there, there's a kid involved, and you're there like is. worried about the kid's safety. It's another the, one that's like oh, cringy. Uh, okay. Climax. That's what it's called. I remember now. Yeah, that's worth watching. That's fucking weird. It is, and I mean, and then Sofia Botello is in it, and she's kind of like you know the kind of the lead dancer, and it's like they do this great dance sequence right at the beginning to to like this great story, and it's got a great soundtrack. It's just it's very good. Things get out of control. Yep, things get out of control. All right, last movie for me, and this is just kind of low-hanging fruit. You mentioned, uh, like, you know, early in your adult life when you see the one of those movies, they're like, wow, this is cinema, you know. Uh, Schindler's List in 93 was kind of one of those movies for me. Uh, Seven Oscars, I mean, ain't too shabby. Deservedly so. Uh, Not, you know, it's uh, Spielberg, of course, who you've heard me rip on him on the show because I think he's asleep at the wheel most of the time these days. Yeah. But uh, this is definitely one of his better efforts. I like Uh, that, that he's resting on his laurels in his later years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I. I uh, Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, Ben Kingsley. You've got Oscar Schindler, the uh, businessman, the shrewd businessman uh, in Poland. And uh, he kind of it starts out as a concern for his workforce. Uh, and he. For profit. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a, a, a purely a pragmatic kind of concern. The treatment of the Jews by the Nazis. And eventually it becomes one of these tales of even even the coldest of hearts can feel something. Mm. And he, to his credit, rescued, saved, uh, you know, some 1,100 Jews from, from, from extermination. So it's a beautifully told story. It's a very inspirational story, but it's one of those stories that when you, when, when you bring up one and done's for me, I don't need to see it again. And I've not seen it since I saw it in the theaters in 1992. This might be the quintessential one and done. movie. Yeah. I just don't think I need to see it ever again. It made its impact on me and it was a good impact, but, uh, one of those emotionally draining, grueling kind of things where I just don't need to come back to it. But I think you're right. I, and going back to what you're saying, it is. It's beautiful. And it's heart-wrenching at the end of it. 
and Liam Neeson just breaks down as Schindler. But yeah, it's so tough to watch, especially if you like actors kind of thing. You like actors, and it's like it's hard to watch Ray Fiennes being the Nazi scumbag. Oh that yeah, he is. I mean, it's, and then you see him being the. Hogwarts has come back that he is, but he's a great actor. He's just one of those guys I just like him. He's like he plays a great villain. It's kind of like I keep wanting to like him, and it's hard to still like him after something like Shepherds because he just plays it so well. All right, anybody else want to add anything about one and Duns? We know what they are. You know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just add the nun and Duns we talked about before we started we started filming. That's uh, a good. That's a good notion. Uh, I will never is. watch Human Centipede. Oh, yeah, me either. Yeah, never. I, have no desire. I will not watch no. that. I'm not going to watch. That's Hostel. a nun and done for me. No, I'm not. I haven't watched Funny Games. I know the plot. And I've read the Wikipedia, but I, and and it's been done twice. There's the original German version, and then there's the uh, the Tim Roth and uh, 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 what's her name from Mulholland Drive, Naomi Watts version. Yeah. and it's bleak too. It's another one. If I had already seen, if I had seen that, I would have used it. But since I hadn't seen it, I didn't use it. But fuck that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I want to have fun. I mean, I realize sometimes I want to be depressed. Sometimes I do with cinema. Sometimes it's just like you know, put me through the ringer. But sometimes. There has to be something of value there. There has to be something of value. Mm. All right. That's going to stick a pin in this one. I think we're done. It's all wrapped up. Uh, Joey, you got anything that you want to plug for us? Um, I mentioned this last time, but uh, forthcoming uh, will be, I have a story in an anthology based on uh, a themed around Romy Schneider films. And I have a, horror slash crime noir tale um, based on uh, her film The Swimming Pool. That'll be coming out probably not until next year, uh, but I'm kind of excited about that. Awesome. Um, I don't really have anything to plug other than my friends. I use Twitter a lot, and that's that's one place to show Where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at ThatBrownCoat. T-H-A-T, brown coat. And you guys are most active on Friday nights, right? We do. Uh, I have a group of friends that call the FFB Movie Night. FFB, Flatbush Foot Brigade. We just get together. We tend to pick something just trashy and just silly or dumb. It's usually horror, though. I'm, I have a pick coming up, and I'm thinking about meatballs. I really want to watch meatballs. Oh, meatballs is the bomb, man. It is. It's, I'm a toss-up right between meatballs or uh, Lamberto Bava's uh, Macabre. Or uh, ten to midnight with Charles Bronson because it's kind of a shallow. That's kind of quite things. a quite a range. We try, <laughs> we try, we really do try. But FFB movie night, please check us out. We'd love for you to join up with us. Yeah, check that out. I've I've had the fun of uh, jumping in a couple of times. You have, and anytime you want to jump in, and if you're on, are you on Twitter? I did. I just followed you while please. we were talking. I'll, I'll take care of that in just a minute. I sure enough will. Yeah, please. Anytime y'all want to jump in with us, yeah, or we do spaces and all that, then that's that's then please. It's pretty cool. We have a good time. Um, I'm going to plug myself As you should. this time. Um, I have an Instagram, uh, Joey, I think you follow it. It is records underscore on the rocks. You know, what's funny about that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was you. You didn't know it was me. <laughs> oh, awesome. I love it. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a Twitter. I mean, it's an Instagram that I started where I, do cocktails. I was like, this guy's pretty fucking I cool. I do, co- I I do cocktails and pair them with albums <laughs> and uh, do a little, I give you the recipe for what I'm making at the time as well as why I paired it with the said album. So yeah, it's kind of showing off my vinyl collection and my shitty craft cocktail skills. <laughs> I think I got it. Records on the rocks. I got an underscore between the records and on the rocks. That's, that's right. That's hilarious. Get it. I Don't didn't know you that. didn't know I that was me. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Fuck yeah. 
It's like a little reveal kind of thing. Yeah, man. I'm the masked totally. singer. Oh my god! There's your there's your Instagram there. I just followed it too. Nice. What, what would you pour? What would you uh, pair with low? Uh, give me some. Uh, uh, it's got to be something in a low ball glass. A- I think for absinthe sure. or something. But probably an absinthe cocktail. Yeah, that would be a good choice. Uh, give I me like some that. time to think about it. I'll put something together. <laughs> Because I have that do. on vinyl, and I will gladly put that on vinyl. Ooh, I'm gonna yes. I'll come up with something. Anyway, so that's me. Uh, the show, uh, Cinema Chop Shop. We are at Cinema Chop Shop on almost every social media outlet except for YouTube, in which we are Cinema Chop Shop Podcast, where you can listen to a video presentation of this podcast, which is weird. <laughs> Please tell your friends about us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Do it. Um, follow, follow, follow. Shoot us emails and whatever else you want us to do on shows. We've got an upcoming episode about crazy fan theories that we've been working on for a while, and hopefully that one will come out soon. And uh, in the meantime, please be good to yourself, be good to your neighbors, love your family, tell them that uh, you love them. And please remember to watch Chop Retrofit. Retrofit.